now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, the sun being obscured. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the multitudes who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. And it was a preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel, And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Jesus had risen from the grave. And we celebrate that fact today. It is not enough, however, For us to simply celebrate Jesus' resurrection as an historical fact. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in the sixth chapter of Romans that we are to not only celebrate the resurrection, but to participate in it. And it is through baptism that we do so. In fact, it's through baptism that we share in both Jesus' death and his resurrection. For as we read last week, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also of his resurrection. The resurrection could have never taken place if Christ hadn't 
first died. And we cannot rise to walk in newness of life if we don't first die to sin. Paul's final words to us last week were, For he who has died is free from sin. And this morning we'll find him saying, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. In Romans 6.11, he will pointedly tell us that we are to consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in the verses that surround verse 11, he will explain how this is possible. Dead to sin and alive to God. I can think of nothing better for us to consider than this on Easter Sunday morning. And while Paul does focus our attention on both of these aspects of the resurrection in the passage for study today, they are intertwined. And so we will begin by reading the text as a whole and then go back and separate the strands. Romans 6, 8 through 14. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Let's first explore what it means to be dead to sin. You know, Paul begins by reminding us that we have died with Christ. And we saw how that was made possible last week. When we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. Through immersion, we were united with him in the likeness of his death. We were buried with him. We closed our eyes, held our breath, and allowed ourselves to be buried beneath the surface of the water. At that moment... We died with Christ. We vicariously shared in his death. We spiritually joined him on the cross. And what was it he did on the cross? Yes, he died. But he did more than just die. He died to sin. When he went to the cross, he wasn't just a man dying on a cross. He was the son of God giving his life to pay for our sins. 
The penalty for sin is death. God declared that to be the case in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam sinned, he opened the floodgates of death, physical death, and even worse, spiritual death, eternal separation from our Heavenly Father. Jesus came to save us from that sentence of death. He died physically so he could rise victoriously over death, giving us the promise of life after death. And he died spiritually. He allowed himself to be cut off from his heavenly father so he could experience the anguish of separation from God in our place. And in doing so, he died to sin once for all. Now, when Paul says he died to sin, he's not suggesting that Jesus had lived a sinful life. He lived a perfect life. He had to if he was to be the spotless Lamb of God to take away our sins. If he had sinned, his death would have been the penalty for his own sin and could not have been the penalty for ours. But when he died on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. He allowed himself to come under the control of sin. He came under its power and allowed sin to kill him. But once he died, that was it. Sin's control was left behind. He died to sin, and it no longer had any power over him. The same is to be true of us. If we have died with Christ, we must consider ourselves to be dead to sin. We can no longer let sin reign in our mortal body. We can no longer obey its lusts. We have died to sin. And as Origen, an early church father, said, To obey the cravings of sin is to be alive to sin. But not to obey the cravings of sin or succumb to its will, this is to die to sin. And as Paul made clear, if we have died to sin, we cannot go on presenting the members of our body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. We are to bring every part of our physical body under control. Sin cannot reign in our body. That's what it means to be dead to sin. But God doesn't just want us dead. A dead body is unresponsive to sin, but it's useless. God wants us more than dead. He wants us alive to himself, alive to God. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Not only did we share in Christ's death when we were baptized, we also shared in his resurrection. And Christ was raised from the dead never to die again.
Christ wasn't merely resuscitated, brought back to the same old life that he had before. He was resurrected to life on another plane. You know, Lazarus was brought back to life from the dead to demonstrate Christ's power over death, but he later died again. He had merely been resuscitated, miraculously, of course. He'd been dead four days, but he was merely brought back to this life. When Jesus was raised, he was raised from the dead never to die again. Death was no longer master over him. He no longer lived under the pale of death. He was beyond the reach of death and of sin. He was free to live in unbroken fellowship with his heavenly father for the rest of eternity. And so are we if we have died with Christ. Because if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, there is indeed a future element to that belief. We know that we shall live with him in heaven someday. There's also a present element to that life. We were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So we might be resurrected to a new life here and now. We weren't raised to go back to our old life. We were raised to a new life, a life dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus. We no longer present the members of our body, our bodily parts, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. We present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead and all parts of our body as instruments of righteousness to be used in service to God. Sin is no longer master over us. God is. This is possible because we are not under law, but under grace. If we were under law, we wouldn't be able to break free from sin's hold over us. Not only would the law condemn us, it would keep us in bondage. Even if we were able to rise above sin for a time, it would soon draw us back down. Even if we were determined to resist the temptations and lusts that tug at us, we would eventually fail. Experience, as well as Scripture, makes that clear. If we were under law, our failures would condemn us over and over and over again. But we are under grace. Those occasional failures are forgiven. Paul doesn't say that if we are dead to sin and alive to God, we will never sin. He says we will not allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. Sin won't be king. It won't dominate our lives. 
And the way we keep sin from dominating is by dealing with it, by confronting it, by confessing it, by being forgiven for it. We deal with sin through grace. It's grace that enables us to remain in fellowship with God and keeps us acceptable to God, even though imperfect. It's grace that keeps us from giving up. It's grace that keeps us trying. If it weren't for grace, all this talk about dying to sin and overcoming temptation would be nothing more than a pipe dream. Because we can't do it. Not all the time. And even if we did manage to keep from breaking the external law, we'd still sin in our hearts. And Jesus said that's as defiling as the overt act. So the only way to keep sin from reigning in our body is to deal with it every time it raises its ugly head. And we deal with it through grace. We remember that Christ has already paid the penalty for that sin. So we can put it behind us and go on. We can once again consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We can once again present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, Jesus was able to die to sin once for all. But we have to die to sin continually if we are to be alive in God. And Jesus died and rose again to make that possible. We celebrate that fact today. And that's good. But it's even more important that we live it every day. If you have not died to sin, I invite you to do so today so you can begin living for Jesus. If you need to express your desire, your need to die to sin and need to do so publicly, I invite you to come. And all of us need to be reminded we must die to sin on a regular basis so we can live Because of the resurrection, because of the death and the resurrection, today we are to be living for Jesus. Please stand.